you want to grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're going to talk about the power that raises dead men to life this morning. If you have the means and you're able, I would ask that you stand in reverence to reading the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, And you were dead. Some of your versions may say, and you he hath quickened. We'll explain that, why it's not in here in just a moment. But you were dead. He wants you to understand that this morning. You were dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And you walked in them because you were following the course of this world. And the world was doing it because it was following the prince of the power of the air, the same spirit that is now at work in all the sons of disobedience. And not just them, but among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. And because of these things, we were by nature children of God's wrath, like the rest of all mankind. I love these next two words of verse 4. Somebody say those. But God. But God. I thought Chrissy Lane might have ran a pew right then when I said that. But God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can be seated. Daniel Durham, will you pray for us? Amen. This week we're going to continue our uh, series through the book of Ephesians or our, um, our study through the book of Ephesians, I guess you could say. We are um, here in chapter 2 and we're going to cover verses 1 through 10 today. But don't let this chapter division take you off track. I don't, I don't want you to quit tracking with Paul's flow of thought. And so I'm praying that 
I don't have to go back and redo chapter 1. I'm hoping that you've heard enough of it that you can stay with me to understand that just because we have a chapter division here does not mean that Paul wrote it and then stopped and two months later he came back to it and said, oh, I thought about something else and then started again. No, this was one continuous letter for Paul. This was one continuous thought for Paul that he followed through this letter. And, and if you learn to, tra- to, to travel with him and to track his train of thought all the way through, you will come to the most accurate interpretation of this text and you will have a better understanding of what it is that the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us through the Apostle Paul. And so one of the things I want you to notice is that Paul is continuing his thought here about his desire for you to know the immeasurable greatness of the power of God. If you were to go back with me to chapter 1 and look at verse... um, Let's look at verse 18 through 19 and you'll see what Paul asked for. He's asking God that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. You remember from last week that was about the inner man. That's who you are. Not this body, not what people look at, but who it, your inner spirit, who, who, who it is that makes up you. And he says, I want that to be enlightened. I want those eyes of that person to be opened up so that they can, they can know something. So that they may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in His saints? And then verse 19, he says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? Now please pay attention to that, guys. There is an immeasurably great power that is working toward you as believers. And Paul wants you to know this. He wants your eyes to be open to it. Guys, many of us here today are still walking around like dead men because we don't know this power. And so I pray that you track with him and see what what he's asking for. He says here that this is an immeasurable great power that's toward us who believe. It is according to the working of his great might. And then in verse 20 he said that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right, right hand. And so here's what Paul is trying to get across to you. He wants you to understand that this power is immeasurably great. And one of the greatest demonstrations of it is when he took a dead man and he gave him life and he raised him up. And then not just raised him up, but he took a dead man that had all the sin of the world placed on him. 2 Corinthians actually says that God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now you think about that statement. God made him to be sin. God took this man, who was also God in the flesh, and he placed him on a cross, and he paid the payment for our sins, and he went to the grave with all of our sin in him and on him. He is that sin. Every reason to stay dead, because that is the punishment for sin. And yet, what does God do? God raises him from the dead, and he gives him new life. And then not just that, but he takes the one who had become sin. 
and He sets Him at the right hand of His power above all power that, that there is to be. And Paul wants you to understand the greatness of this power because he's fixing to show you where you were. Now look where, how I tie these two together. Ephesians chapter 2 verse um, 5 and 6. Look at what he said in Ephesians 2 verse 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in between the end of chapter 1 where he describes this immeasurably great power that raises the dead and places a sin-infested human up to be above all authority, in between that place and then in between Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 and 6, he says, and this same power is the same power that you have access to. But the problem is this. The reason why you don't access it is because maybe you don't understand how dead you actually were. And so Paul starts out in Ephesians chapter 2 and he says this, And you were dead. Dead. We're going to talk about that here in a minute because if you have the King James Version, it'll say, You he hath quickened who were dead. But you'll also notice that it's in italics if you have that version. The reason it's in italics is because it's not in the original Greek. The original Greek says this, You were dead. The quickening hasn't happened yet. Is it true that He quickened us believers? Absolutely. But Paul wants you to understand something. Until the power of God comes in, there is no new creation and there is no quickening, no raising to life. And so he wants you to understand, you were dead. I want you to think about this for a minute. Everything that God ever did, ever created, was a picture of His glory or His power or what He does, right? When He made man, He said, let us make man in what? Everything He does, He creates so that it displays something in the spiritual. Well, somebody track back with me to Genesis chapter 1 for just a minute. You remember the very first verses go like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was darkness over it. It was void, I believe is what it says. Let me go back to it and see what it says. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, and it was void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And here, one of the things that you see is that in the beginning, when God first created, it was deadness there. There was nothing there. It was darkness. It was void. But... The Spirit of God moved in and hovered over top of this deadness and this darkness. And how many of you can tell me what happened directly in chapter 3, or in verse 3, all the way to the end of chapter 1 in Genesis 1? God said, and there was. And from there on out, you see the power of God when the Spirit of God 
is infused to deadness and darkness, God says, let there be, and there is whatever He says, let there be. And so even back in Genesis, you saw this picture of what God was going to do in His children whom He loved with a great love. You saw that God was going to have to come into deadness and God was going to have to give a power because without this power, this deadness and darkness is nothing. But the moment this power comes in, a new creation begins. It is impossible for it not to become a new creation if the power of God is there. And so Paul says, I want you to know this power. I want you to experience this power. Paul taps into this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. Look what he says. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So here's what Paul is tapping into. He's saying, guys, if you have heard the gospel and responded to the gospel, and if there is a new creation taking place in you, it's because this happened. You were blinded because you were dead and dark in your sins. And then God told His Holy Spirit, Hover over this darkness. Hover over this deadness. And as you do this, I'm going to give a command. And here's the command I'm going to say. Let there be light. And the darkness flees and the blindness flees. And our eyes are open to the glory of Christ and the gospel. And a new creation begins. Because He's opened our eyes to it. And it is all because of this power that we refuse to access on a daily basis. That I refuse to access so many days, so, so many minutes of the day. I do, not, um, I do not know enough about this power. So the first thing, going back to Ephesians chapter 2. The first thing that Paul wants us to understand about this immeasurable greatness of God's power is that this power is the only hope for dead men. If you're taking notes this morning, write that down. Guys, this power that you refuse to access, that you don't even know about for the most part, this power is the only hope for dead men. And he says here, you were dead. As I told you before, if you have certain versions of the Bible, certain versions will have in this verse right here that says, and you he hath quickened who were dead. But that was not in the original Greek. It was something the translators, the translators added because it was true. But it's not what Paul wants you to understand right here. Paul wants you to know that you need this power not because the quickening has already occurred. The quickening cannot occur without the power. And so you need to understand something if you're going to know the power. You were dead. Dead. You know what a dead man can do? Nothing. A dead man cannot respond to anything. You were dead. And so he wants you to understand that everyone 
falls into this category of deadness. If you are human, you fall into this category. Notice in verses 1 through 3, just read through them real quickly with me. And notice the you's and the we's. In verse 1 he says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins. One of the things that you, it would be helpful for you to know is that this letter was written primarily to Gentiles or to non-Jewish unbelievers. And so if you were to go back to Acts chapter 19, I believe it is, you can read the whole history of this Ephesian church. And you can see who it was made up of. It was made up of uh, people who practiced witchcraft and sorcery, it was made up of people who worshipped idols and, and they actually uh, brought the whole city into a riot because people were turning away from the idols to worship Jesus Christ. And they weren't buying the idols anymore. So it caused an economic a downfall in Ephesus because of, all this, because of what this church has created. And so he says here, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. It's not hard for them to look back at their life and be able to see this is where we were. But then he says, in you, in, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom what? We. we. So in other words, just in case there's some Jew or somebody that thinks just because they were raised up in church, they think that they've been pretty good most of their life, just in case you think for one second that you don't fall into this category of deadness, Paul says, listen, this is what we all once lived in because we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. In other words, here's what he wants you to understand. We have all declared our independence from our Creator, and we've all declared that we don't want to honor and glorify God. We want to live for me. And you can see this in your life, because no matter where you've been in your life, at one point in your life, you were okay with God as long as God was okay with you. But let a preacher get up here and say that something in your life is a sin. You know what all of you do? You blow up, you get mad, you leave church, you get angry. Nobody wants to come in here, especially other than a believer that the Holy Spirit of God is coming in and opening their eyes to it. No one wants to come in here and sit and listen to the Word of God say, you are in sin and trespass. And the minute that somebody does that, you look at it and you go, no, nah, you know what, that's not, that's not my God. That's not who I, my God is love. My God is forgiveness. My God, my God would never feel this way about somebody. And you base every bit of your God on who you want your God to be because you are self-serving and you need a God and want a God that lines up with you. And Paul wants you to understand you're dead because of that. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. You don't have to turn there in your Bible. You know the story very well. I'll just very quickly through it. God puts Adam and Eve in a garden. He tells them you can eat from any tree except for one tree. You remember what that tree was? The knowledge of good and evil. In other words, I need you as God or I want you as God to look to me for every decision about what's right and what is wrong. I want you to trust me. I want you to find your satisfaction in me. I want you to follow me. Enjoy all of my goodness. Enjoy it. But remember, it comes from me. Look to me for your guidance. But then old Satan comes down with this spirit of disobedience 
Because he's the one that looked at God and said, you know what, I don't want to follow you. I want to do my own thing. And so he comes down with this same spirit and steps in the garden and he says, now wait a minute, did God really tell you that if you eat from this, you'll die? You will not surely die. But he just knows that in the day you eat of it, you're just going to be like him and he don't want you to be like him. And they said, hmm, I like the way that sounds. And they ate. And ultimately when they ate, here's what they said. God, we don't need you to tell us right from wrong. We don't need you to tell us how to live our lives. We can live our lives exactly the way we want to live. Right? Anybody in here ever raised teenagers? We don't need you to guide us. We are big enough and we are mature enough that we can make our own decisions. And ultimately what we did is we pulled ourselves away from our source of life. God was our source of life and we had a spirit in us that came to know God. And when we, if a blade of grass looks at the ground and says, Hey, I'm pulling out. How long does it last? You cannot live apart from your source of life. And so when you pull away, what God does is He says, Okay, but you will die. And guess what happened whenever Adam followed this spirit of disobedience and he pulled away from his source of life? He died. Eve died. And ever since that day, every human being that has been born has been handed down that same spirit of disobedience. This is the course of the world, is what Paul says here. This is the same spirit that came from Satan, entered into Adam and Eve, and has been handed down from generation to generation, and you are by nature children of the wrath of God because you don't want God, but instead you are dead. You know, here, here's the way John MacArthur explained it very well, or the best way that I, I could feel like you could understand. To understand spiritual death, because you didn't physically die right away. You are physically dying, right? But you didn't physically die right away. So what did he mean? In the day you eat of it, you will die. He means that that inner spirit that He gave you to know God, to follow God, to be connected with God, to worship God, to love God, that part of you died. Now think about it like this. <clears throat> Physical death. When someone physically dies, no matter how much you shake or no matter how much you, you scream boo or no matter what you do, there is no amount of stimulus that can be provided that will bring life out of a dead person. They are dead. And so in the same manner, in a spiritual death, there is no amount of love, there is no amount of Scripture that you will ever read. Without the power of God coming in and bringing life, you are spiritually dead. Everything in you tries to run away from God. Now you don't see it because you're blinded. You can't, you can't see it until God disagrees with something that you won't. But when God disagrees with something your flesh has passion for and your mind has desire for, all of a sudden you realize exactly inside of you is dead for the worship of God. You are spiritually dead. There is no connection to God whatsoever because of the spiritual deadness. And he tells us here in verse 1 of chapter 2, you were dead in the trespasses and Sins. Now listen, the sins and the trespasses are not the main cause of your deadness. 
The sins and the trespasses are not the main cause of your deadness, but rather they are the evidence. You were dead before the sins and the trespasses. You were dead when you came out of the womb, spiritually. And I'll prove it to you from Scripture here in just a few minutes. You were handed this nature down from Adam. You came out of the womb wanting me, 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 not him, him, him. I don't want my source of life. I want what I want. I want to live my life. And you were dead in the trespasses and the sins. And so they are not the, the cause of the deadness. They are the evidence that we have pulled away from our source of life. So look at it like this. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 31. I cover this a lot, but it's the best chapter to explain it. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. Let's just read through it very quickly. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. And the reason they knew God, according to previous verses, was because it was impossible for you to look around at creation and go, nobody did this. It's kind of like this, guys. Y'all don't let me lose you this morning because you need to hear this. You look at this building right here. Is it possible that somebody could come in here and convince you this morning that no one built this building? I could stand up here and say, guys, I promise, I swear, I promise, I promise, nobody built this building. We just walked in the parking lot one day and all of a sudden it came up. You can't do it, right? And the reason being is because your common sense looks at the building and says, if the building is here, guess what? There is a builder. And so God tells us through the Apostle Paul, it's impossible to look at the creation and go, it just popped up. You know God. But in verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, we saw God and knew that He was real from the creation. But instead of honoring and glorifying Him and standing in awe of Him, we looked at the creation and said, Boy, I love this stuff. <laughs> this is awesome stuff. I love His creation. That's what I love. And then keep going with me. In verse um, 24, Therefore God gave them up. You want to disconnect from your source of life? Okay. So God gives you up to follow your own passions, your own desires, to follow what's in your heart and in your mind. And God shows you your deadness because the result of you pulling away from God is you following your own way. And what does that look like? Well, let's keep going in verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, in verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, listen closely, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, 
God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. What is the root of our sin? Is it the bad that we do? No. The bad that we do is the evidence that we don't want God. The root of your sin is, God, we don't want to be connected to you. We would rather be dead. I would rather have my own way and do my own thing than to look to you for right and wrong because I don't like your right and wrong. I believe if it feels good, I ought to be able to do it. If it makes me happy, how many Facebook posts do you see? Girl, just be happy. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about? Girl, you just need to be happy. Listen, that is the worst advice anybody will ever give you. Girl, you don't need to be happy. You need to be happy in God. You need to be happy that you are connected back to Him. And you need to be trusting Him to lead you and guide you in the right way. That's what you need. And so the sins and the trespasses that you're dead in is not the cause of your deadness, it is the evidence of your deadness. And we see this especially in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans 3, 23, you remember what it said? And what? In other words, here's your root of your sin. You missed the mark. What was the mark? You were supposed to live for the glory of God, not for yourself. But instead, you wanted your own passions, your own desires of your heart and your mind. And so we have to understand that our sin is the fact that we have fallen short of what God created us to be. And that is connected to Him, happy in Him, worshiping Him. And instead, we are connected to me, happy in me, and worshiping me. And so because of that, we are spiritually dead. We don't want God. The next thing you need to make in your notes is this. The power of God in regeneration is the only hope for a dead man. Look with me at Titus chapter 3, verse 4 through 7. The power of God in regeneration is the only hope for dead men. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You have this power from the Holy Spirit, just like we saw in Genesis. Your only hope is that God opens your eyes to your rebellion against Him. Listen, until that day comes, you have no hope. Your only hope is that God opens your eyes to your rebellion against Him and that you don't continue operating this hardness of heart that says, I don't want God. I don't want to acknowledge God. Or I'm okay with God as long as God is okay with me. If that's what you're still operating in, you're dead. You're dead. And He says here very plainly that the Holy Spirit's power is there and the believer has access to it to have a washing of regeneration take place. What does that mean? The washing of regeneration is this because it says this is how He saved us. It is a cleansing that takes place 
by a change of mind for the better. Something has to come into these impure hearts and these impure minds, these lustful hearts and these lustful minds. Something has to come in and and open our eyes to it and cleanse it. And something has to start giving us new desires. Desires that want to follow God, that want to fight our sin, that want to be right with Him. And this washing of regeneration is what happens. You remember the day or the night that you were saved? I remember the night I sat down in the corner of my bedroom and cried my eyes out like a, grown, like a baby, a grown man sitting there, curled up in the corner crying because I saw my sinfulness before God. I saw it. I understood it. It made sense. It wasn't just the things I was doing. It was the fact that I saw that I didn't want God. And I saw where I stood with God, and He opened my eyes to that. And I can remember when He opened my eyes to that, there was a power that came. I'm not talking about a power that made me run pews. I'm not talking about a power that made me jump up and, and be able to jump as high as the ceiling. I'm talking about there was an overwhelming sense of the fact that I am going to make you new. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. And I'm going to give you my righteousness. And I'm going to lead you in my ways. That is the washing of regeneration when God comes in and cleanses your mind. And it wasn't just the washing of regeneration. It said here in Titus chapter 3 that it was the renewing of the Holy Spirit. In other words... The Holy Spirit comes in, He renews our hearts, He renews our minds, and He cleanses us, and He makes us to get on a path that becomes like Christ. He creates a new man inside of you with new desires, new heart. Is everything completely gone as far as the flesh? No, we still fight with it. But our eyes are opened and now we have the power to fight. And you need to see it that you have access to that power. Just a couple of scriptures to look at. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. Look what he says there. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. You remember I was talking about that darkness we live in, unable to see our rebellion against God? But when one turns to the Lord, what happens? The veil is removed. And then... In verse 17 it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so little by little He's transforming us, right? Little by little He's making this new creation and He's growing us in it. Keep going with me. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's keep going. It's starting in verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Lord over our lives, not us. With ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what you see here is that God comes in, He cleanses you from your sins. 
and He begins to show you the glory of God in Christ and His ways. And little by little, He teaches you these ways of Jesus and He puts within you a desire to be pleasing to Him. You still fight with the flesh because you are transformed from one degree of glory to another. But He is little by little teaching you how to be pleasing to Him. And so, through the cleansing of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, through the renewing of the mind and the heart daily by seeing the ways of Christ that also comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are saved. He saved us by doing these things. This deadness that we have inside of us, if you'll notice it's the way of the world. Let's read it again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 again. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. You, you remember those scriptures that said, Do not love the world or the things of the world, because if the love of the world is in you, then the love of the Father is not in you. In other words, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, I still want to serve me and I'm still going to do me and I'm still going to be happy with me and I'm going to live my life. You can't do that and say, oh, but I love the Father. No. If you still love the way of the world and that is the way of the world, let me do me. If you still are worldly, then there is no love of the Father in you. And so you need to understand here that this is the way of the world. And they are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The same spirit that landed Satan out of heaven or that cast Satan out of heaven is the same spirit that works in every son and daughter of disobedience. And the only hope for us is the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. This ain't rocket science. Y'all don't let me lose you, all right? Keep reading with me. Verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So there's the problem. We were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and because of these things, we were by nature children of wrath, like all the rest of mankind. Everybody falls into this category, and because of this, we were dead separated from God. A couple more scriptures I want you to look at. I was going to skip these for sake of time. I'm not going to do that. Romans chapter 8 verse 7. Look at this very closely. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 and 8 actually. It says, For the mind that is set on the flesh, or the world, or that spirit of disobedience we were talking about, the mind that is set on that is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it what? Because why? It's dead. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God because they are dead. There is nothing in them to want to please God because I want to please me. Or the only way I want to please God is as long as it pleases me. And then let's go to one more passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 8, same Scripture, verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Remember that power we were talking about? You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, 
Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also do what for you? He will raise you from your dead too. You need to understand this power because here's the thing about it, guys. We have access to this power. You can't stay dead if you are a chosen, redeemed, adopted child of God. Because if you are in the Holy Spirit, and if that Spirit is in you that has opened your eyes to your rebellion, then He is leading you in the ways of Christ. You're still fighting with your flesh, but He's leading you in it. If you say that you are no longer in that, but now you are serving God and yet your heart is still set on all of your desires, what makes you happy, doing your thing, you're still dead. And it is my prayer that God opens your eyes so that you can turn from it and you can turn to Him. We'll go through these next ones very quickly. For this power, listen, if you're taking notes, listen, this power is incomprehensible. This power is incomprehensible, but you know when it's came through. Look with me at John chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. This is the Lord Jesus Himself. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Why do we have to be born again? Because we were dead. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Funny thing about the wind, right? You hear it. You feel it. You can tell that it's coming through, but you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it went. You can't comprehend it. You can't understand it. But one thing you can know, it just came through. And here's what the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to understand about this power. No, you can't understand it. It is immeasurably great. You can't comprehend it. But let me tell you what you can know. You can know it just came through. You can know that I just experienced the power of God in my deadness, that He has opened my eyes and He is giving me new life and He is raising me from my dead. Third point on this is this power comes from God's riches in mercy. Look at verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. But God, I love the way he transitions this, but God being rich in mercy. God is rich and He is rich in mercy but God, who is rich in mercy. Mercy means I'm not going to give you what you, don't, what you deserve. I'm going to hold back what you deserve. I'm not going to pour, the, even though you're a child of wrath, I'm not going to pour this wrath out on you. I'm going to hold this back. Y'all got that? And so he says, I'm rich in this. So think about it like this. <clears throat> we were walking in the spirit of Satan himself, but God was rich in mercy. We were following our own passions and desires of our own body and mind, but God was rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy and God is rich in His desire to hold back what we deserve and to give us what we don't deserve. That's the kind of power that you have access to. I pray you understand that. The fourth thing. This power is because of His great love for us. 
for His glorious praise. Let me say that one more time. This power is because of His great love for us for His glorious praise. See, here's what I want you to understand. Paul makes it very clear in chapters 1 and 2 that God's love for us is for His glorious praise. Read with me to start with verses 4 through 7 of Ephesians 2. He says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated Him with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What's those first two words of verse 7? So that. Here's why He does it. Here's why He loves us. Here's why He's rich in mercy toward us. Here's why He does it. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He does it for His glory. He does it for His praise. He does it because He wants all of creation to look at God being rich in mercy toward dead men, enemies of His. And He wants all of creation to look at His kindness and His grace and His mercy and His love. And He wants to be praised for it. And a lot of people standing here this morning say, well, that makes God conceited. Let me explain something to you. Conceited means to have a high view or a high opinion of oneself. God does not have a high opinion of Himself. God has a right view of Himself. God is who He is. And He has every right and is worthy of all praise. And so we need to be able to look at this and go, listen, God loves us and He loves us for His praise. Okay, but here's what you need to understand. He's right for doing that, but that don't diminish His love for you. Quite the contrary. It magnifies it. Romans chapter 5 says this, But God demonstrated His love toward us in that while you were yet sinners, enemies of His, Christ died for the ungodly. God gave you His Son. And if God will give you His Son, is there anything that He won't give you? And so what you, want to, what you need to understand is, yes, God does it for His glory. God does it for His praise. But it don't diminish His love for you. His love for you is still magnificent. Last thing, I'm not even going to go through this. So last thing, this power is for good works that come from this new creation in you. Go with me um, in verse 7 again. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Why why can't we boast? Because all the glory goes to God. This is all God's doing. This is a gift. This is a gift. You were dead. You can't do anything. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This power is for God's good works that come from His new creation that He has created in you. One day we're going to stand before our Maker in all of His glory, in all of His praise, and we will be the evidence of His immeasurable riches of mercy and grace in His kindness. 
You will be the evidence of it. Not because of anything you did, quite the contrary. You didn't do anything. And God still showed you His love. God still showed you His grace. And this is what Paul wants you to understand. We are saved by grace alone. Alone. Nothing else. Through faith alone. Nothing else. In Christ alone. Nothing else for the glory of God alone. And you have access to this power. And I'm pretty stoked about it myself. I don't know how you feel about it. It's not any of my own doing. I won't ever be able to boast about my salvation and for any good works that I've ever done. I was dead and His power raised me up for glory. In closing, finally, we have access to this immeasurable power of God's Holy Spirit. Christians, listen to me today. If you are a believer and your eyes have been opened to your darkness and your rebellion against God, God has put His Holy Spirit to hover over this darkness. And God means for you to access this power because it's the same power that brought a dead man to life and it's the same power that will bring you out of your deadness to life in Christ. You have access to this power. You have access to God's Holy Spirit that makes you new creations in God. We no longer have to live serving our own passions and desires, but we have power to live for God's praise in Christ Jesus. And Paul wants you to know this power. Do you see how it's connected here? Do you see how to follow his train of thought? God wants you to understand, or Paul wants you to understand, that you can know this power. How many of you have had times in your life where you just felt like a lost cause? I'm a lost cause. I'm a dead sinner. I've heard the call of God and I just can't get it right. Paul is speaking to you today. And here's what he's telling you. You have access to this power. And this power is what raises the dead to life, not you. You can't raise yourself. And so Paul says, I want you to know this power. I want you to access this power. So my question to you this morning is this. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you know it? Do you want to know it? Are you experiencing it? Are you living in it? My prayer and Paul's prayer for you this morning is that you would know this power, that you would experience this power, and that you would love this power that God has put in you. This power has immeasurable greatness to bring to life God's new creation in you. I pray that you will start looking to it and start asking God to give you eyes to be able to access the power that raises dead men to life.